because we only had six loaves of bread. I, I felt like that wasn't enough. So I wanted to go get one. Well, the only thing that left was hamburger buns, but they'll work. They'll pop. You ever put hamburger buns in your toaster? You know, you can toast them. It's pretty, pretty cool. You have to be careful. They will burn. So none of that has anything to do with the message this morning, but I'm glad you're here. I want us to go back where we were last week in John chapter 4. I just wanted to unpack a few more things uh, about this passage. John chapter 4, where the woman is, uh, where Jesus is talking to the woman uh, of Samaria, the woman at the well. And I just want to encourage us to always be ready to respond to people who are in a crisis. And a crisis can look different from today, from yesterday. Every person sees a crisis different. So, <clears throat> you know, a student who flunks a test, that's a crisis, right? For the moment. Uh, a, a teenager who gets turned down when they ask someone out today, that's, that's a major crisis, okay? I went through a lot of that. I understand that well. You know, you just line them all up, keep asking, no, 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 no. That's a crisis, right? Uh, for a teenager, a pimple can be a crisis, right? You parents understand that? Uh, oh, my God, I've got a pimple. It goes crazy. Uh, you get to be a little bit older, and crisis looks like um, losing your job, right? Going to the doctor and him telling you something you really don't want to hear that day. Uh, so that can be a crisis as well. Uh, divorce can be a crisis. Um, a house fire can be a crisis. And then you get to the really big things that affect a lot of people like a tornado, or hurricane, or an earthquake. And so crisis looks different for different people at different times. And I want our church to be known as a people who respond to others in crisis. Now that doesn't mean that you're going to be good at responding to every crisis you run into, right? But just pick one or two that maybe the Holy Spirit has told you, hey, you'd be good at this. And then do that. And so this morning, this story, what I find is this, uh, this beautiful woman who's in a crisis in her life. She's been married five times, <clears throat> and the man she's living with now is not her husband. And back in Jesus' day, 2,000 years ago, there were, there were two Jewish thoughts, uh, trains of thought. There was, we would say Republican and Democrat or, you know, liberal, conservative. Well, they had the same thing going on back then. And one thought was very, very conservative, and one thought was very, very liberal about marriage and angels and anything you could think of, just like today. The same debates went on. And back in Jesus' day, one thought was that a husband could divorce his wife for just burning the toast. If she burned the hamburger bun, he could divorce her. He could just write her a letter and say, I'm divorcing you, and hand it to her and walk off. That was it. No courts, no... No taking care of her or anything like that afterwards. Just you burn the toast, you're out of here. Uh, the other train of thought was you could never divorce your wife except for infidelity, right? It's the only reason. And so we find Jesus in a controversy. They were asking him at some point, which one do you stand on? Which, which one of these camps are you in? And uh, we, they were trying to trick him, of course. And he said, well, I'm in the camp that says... You should never divorce, you know, unless for infidelity. And that's where he came down. And so that was in Jesus' heart. Why did Jesus say that? Because he wanted a woman to stay in a bad marriage where she was abused? No, he would never say that. What he was saying was, men, 
Man up. Take care of your wife. Take care of her. Don't treat her like an animal. Don't treat her like garbage. Treat her like the queen that she is. He was, he was calling manhood out. He was calling masculinity out and to say, do the right thing here, guys. And so when he meets this woman at the well, you need to know that's what's in his heart. His heart was not just go through as many men as you can and whatever. He wasn't for the camp where if you burn the toast, you get, you know, you get fired. That wasn't the camp Jesus was in. The camp Jesus was in was you need to be taken care of. You need to find a man that will really take care of you. And I, and I hope and pray that for you. That's really what I want for you. That was his heart. So when we get to this, you need to know that's the camp that Jesus was in. He was in the camp where he said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. And so we get to the story. And Jesus, you know the story. Jesus and the boys were out uh, going from one place to other. They stopped in Samaria and, and they were hungry. And Jesus sent the boys into town to buy some chicken biscuits from Chick-fil-A, right? And some fries to go along with that, right? And they used to get the carrot and raisin salad, but they quit making that. I don't know why they quit making that. I'm really disappointed. I used to just drive up and get the carrot raisin salad. It's just really good stuff. It's good for you, right? It's got carrots in it and raisins in it. That's good. Mayonnaise, not so much, but everything else is wonderful for you. Anyway, he sent the boys into town to get some Chick-fil-A sandwiches to come back and eat. And he sat down beside the well. Now, these boys he sent into town were the disciples. Two of them were called James and John, who were known affectionately as the what? The sons of, sons of what? Sons of Zebedee, but also the sons of thunder. The sons of thunder, right? Remember that? Why? Because on one occasion, James and John were getting close to Samaria and remember, the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They absolutely despised them. James and John looked at Jesus and said, look, here's some Samaritans. Can we rain down fire and brimstone on them? I mean, really. You're walking along. You come across some people you really hate and despise. Hey, God. Hey, Messiah. Hey, Jesus. Can we rain down some fire and brimstone on them and just burn them all up? Jesus said, no, not today. Let's don't do that today. <laughs> Back away from the table just a little bit. John, you've had too much sugar today. Back off. James, you've had too much caffeine, right? These are the same two guys that now had to go into town and buy food for Jesus and the game. Jesus had been wearing off the Pharisee in them. Hey, Jesus will do that. If you've got a little Pharisee in you, the more you learn about Jesus, the more that Pharisee falls away. Because we all got a little bit of Pharisee in us. We're all the older brother. And we're all the younger brother. That story, remember? The story of the prodigal son. We live in both camps. Jesus will polish that Pharisee right out of you if you'll let him. And so Jesus sits down at the well. And verse 7 says, When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me something to drink? The Samaritan said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Men did not talk to women in public. A good Jewish man wouldn't even talk to his wife and his daughter in public. She was not even supposed to ask him a question in public to put him on the spot to where he had to answer the question. She couldn't say, where are we going to eat today? We're going to Chick-fil-A. We're going to Tokyo. Where are we going to eat today? She couldn't even ask him that in public. Right? And he wasn't going to answer if she asked. So here he is. This, this, he's talking to a Samaritan woman. And he's a rabbi. A rabbi would never talk to a woman in public for sure. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, 
who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. 100 to 180 feet is what's, uh, what people say. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Now, why does she claim Jacob all of a sudden? She claimed Jacob because she's saying, I'm of the true religion and you're not. Samaritans are the true religion and Jews are not. That's what she was saying. She was claiming Jacob is my father. And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in him springing water, spring of water welling up to eternal life. Remember we talked about last week, the two types of water, this Dead water and live water. The dead water is in a well. It would have to be taken out and purified before you can drink it. Living water is a stream flowing along that you just walk up and scoop up and drink from. She would have had to get this water out of a well, not in a bucket, but in a, some sort of bladder type thing made of some uh, skin of an animal. Okay, That's really gross, isn't it? And she would have tied it to a rope and lured it down into this, this well 100 to 180 feet. And hopefully had it fill up and bring it back up and then walk back to her house, which is about a half a mile away. By the way, a half a mile is 1,320 steps if you're doing Fitbit. <laughs> so you can get your, get your walk in. So there and back, that's 1,320 times two. So you got like, what was that, 2,640 steps, right? That's a half a mile. Are you with me this morning? Does anybody do Fitbit? I don't. I'm just curious if anybody else does. See, she's got it on her wrist right now, right? I just do the treadmill over and over and over and over again. You know how boring a treadmill is? It's boring, right? It's just boring. I digress. The woman says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. She knew the difference between living water and dead water. She knew the difference. She had to come out of town to get water because the women in town ridiculed her when she went to get water with them. She couldn't stand the shame and the blame. You've been married five times. You're living with a guy now. She couldn't stand that, so she came out to the city to get water so she wouldn't have to be harassed. I want that living water. Can, can I have some of that? He told her, go call your husband. And come back. I have no husband. She said, you're right. You have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. And the man you have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, believe me, woman. A time is coming when you will worship the father. Uh, when you worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything. And Jesus said to him, I am he who speaks to you. In her eyes, Jesus went from being a thirsty man to a kind man who took time to talk to her. 
right? To a prophet, to the Messiah. That's a beautiful thing. We all grow that way. We all see Jesus as someone who can fill our thirst, right? And then we move along and realize he's really a kind person. Jesus is really a kind person, right? Was it C.S. Lewis said? He's, he's dangerous, but he's kind. What was that quote? Dangerous, but he's kind. He's dangerous, but he's good. That's the quote. And then he went to being a prophet. And when Jesus gets to become, listen, when Jesus becomes the prophet in your life and starts calling things out in your life, sometimes that's not fun. Amen? You're sitting there praying and you think you've got your little house all in order and everything's great and you're just, you're just, the, you're just the best older son. You've done everything right that you're supposed to do. And Jesus said, ah, you got a little Pharisee in you. We need to, we need to work on that. Let me, let me pick at that. And then we find he's our Messiah. He's our Savior. He's the one that delivers us and all who will trust in him. Our relationship with Jesus should grow from just seeing a thirsty man to seeing a prophet and the Messiah in our lives. I who speak to you am he. So this morning, I want to talk about how you and I can respond like Jesus does to people that we know who are in a crisis. And I, I promise you, everybody in this room knows somebody that's in a crisis right now. Some of you have friends who are sick with cancer. Teenagers, some of you have friends who are just really in trouble in their lives right now. They've got some things going on at home or in their personal life. We all know somebody that's in a crisis. So what can we do? I've got eight things right quick like Eight things. You may use one or two of these things with some of your friends that are in crisis. You may use all of them. But here's, here's how I see Jesus. First, and they all start with W so it can it'd be easy for you to remember, right? First, we need to have a willingness to respond. A willingness to respond. And so you're sitting at the traffic light anywhere in Nashville, and there's a man holding newspapers, and he's walking up toward you, right? And so you have two options. You look straight ahead like you don't see him. Or you look him in the eye. Now he knows if you look him in the eye, there's a good chance he's going to get something from you. That's how he makes a living. You give him a dollar. I don't know if you know the story about the guys selling newspapers, the, the real newspapers they sell. You give him a dollar. He goes back. He gets to keep some of that. And he pays room and board and food and everything where he's living. That's what he does. He pays for it. Right. The more papers he sells, the better location he gets in town. Did you know that? And so the higher-end locations, like in Brentwood, the person's really worked hard to get there. And that's how they earn a living. We look at that, and do I have a willingness to respond? I'm not saying you should or shouldn't give that person a dollar or $5 or $10. I've told you my story. I would stop and get out in the parking lot where the guy was standing, and I would go over there and have a conversation with him. Asking about his life, what's going on, what's his name, what's his family's name, how did he get in this position, what can I do to help him, does he need something? That's what I do with folks like that. But you have to have a willingness to respond, to go talk to somebody. When you see somebody in need, there has to be a willingness that rises up within you to say, I want to help. Now, trust me on this, you can't help everybody. Jesus didn't help everybody. You know that, right? There were people he couldn't help. 
The Bible says he went to his own town, his own town, and he could only do a few small miracles because they didn't believe in him. So if Jesus can't help everybody, you can't either. Don't try. But look for those people that you can help and have a willingness to help them. Jesus had a willingness to respond. You see, the Father, Jesus, his Father in heaven, had already told him what his assignment was going to be that day. He and the Father were so close. The Father said, hey, uh, Jesus, I got an assignment for you today. I want you to go to Samaria. I want you to sit down by Jacob's well. I want you to send the boys in town to get something to eat. I'm sending somebody out that you need to talk to, that really needs to hear your voice. And Jesus said, okay, Dad, I'll do that. He had a willingness to respond to his Father's directive and to the woman when she came. Secondly, <clears throat> we should respond not just with willingness. We should respond with wisdom, the wisdom of God. There's natural wisdom and there's spiritual wisdom. Natural wisdom is when you see somebody, you kind of size them up and see who they are. And some of you have better discernment. Some of us have better discernment than others. Some of you are better at it than I am. And, uh, and so you just discern things about people. That's natural discernment. But then there's spiritual discernment where the Holy Spirit gives you a word of revelation or wisdom or knowledge and says, you need to know this about this person. I've met people before that I've never met in my life. And I'm standing there talking to them. And while I'm talking to them, the Holy Spirit is praying for me because the Holy Spirit likes doing that. And I get a word of information, of knowledge about a person. And I'll just simply ask him, what about this in your life? And they go, how did you know that? It wasn't me. It was the Holy Spirit speaking to me and that's the wisdom we need to respond with wisdom how do we respond with wisdom it's real simple before you go talk to somebody or try to help them say holy spirit i need wisdom it's, it's that simple james says if anybody lacks wisdom right if anybody lacks wisdom let him turn on a reality tv show and that what isn't that what the bible says if anybody lacks wisdom let them google it and that what isn't that what the bible says what well, the Bible says, if anybody lacks wisdom, let them ask. That's pretty simple, right? And so, respond with wisdom. Respond with willingness. Respond with wisdom. The third thing, respond with the Word of God. Hebrews 4 says, God's Word is powerful. It's sharp. It's able to cut asunder between soul and spirit. What does that mean? It means... It's able to reveal truth to a person, to you or someone else. Just take the Word of God, the actual Word of God, and hide it in your heart. Have a verse or two memorized or 10 or 20 memorized. Or put it on a card if you're not good at memorizing. That's great, too. And carry that card around with you. Find a scripture that, that you think might help a lot of people and keep it on a card in your pocket and carry it around with them. And you, when you run to that situation, say, look, I've got this scripture I write down. I really like this verse. It really means a lot to me. I want to give it to you. And just hand them that verse on the card. We should respond with the word of God. Let it do the work. You know, there's, there, there are tools out there that help us in our job. If you're, if you're working on the engine in a car, you know, there, there's, there are wrenches that really help you break those bolts loose, right? If, if you're working in the kitchen, making a, and my stomach's growling just thinking about it. If you're working in the kitchen, right, making a chicken pot pie, a giant chicken pot pie, you need several things to, to work with. You need a pan, 
and you need some measuring cup things, right? You need something to stir all that stuff with, right? Right? You need an oven, right? You just can't sit there and put a blow dryer, hair dryer on that thing, can you? And, and cook that chicken pot pie. You got to stick it in. You need tools to make it work, right? Right? Work with me here this morning. Come on. God has given us tools to make our job easier. And the tool is the word of God. My daddy used to say, pun intended, my daddy used to say, if you're going to get the job done right, you've got to have the right tool. Tool, T-O-O-L-E. My dad was funny like I am. Yeah, right. Where do you think I got it from? The Bible is a tool. Now, it's more than a tool, but it's a tool to use in ministering to people. Hide his word in your heart. Ephesians 6.17 says, The sword of the Spirit is the... The sword of the Spirit is the... The sword that the Spirit uses in your life is the... Word of God. Thank you. The sword of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit uses in your life is the Word of God. Fourth thing. In responding to the people, we need to respond with the works the works of God, things that we do. It says in Ephesians 2, 9 and 10 that we're created for good works, right? Isn't that what it says? We are created to do good works, which were prepared in advance for you to do. How cool is that? God said, I've got some things that George needs to do in his life, and I'm going to prepare these things, and I'm going to give them to George, and George is going to hopefully hear from the Spirit and go do those things in his life. Isn't that beautiful? God's already given us the assignments. He's already given us the tools to use. The works of God. We're created to do good works. James says in chapter 2, verse 26, he says, Faith without works is dead. Right? Dead as a doornail. Number five. Not only do we need to respond with the works of God, we need to respond with the witness of God. Acts chapter 1 8 says, You are my witnesses. You are my witnesses. The Great Commission says that we're to go into all the world and share the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom of God with everybody, everywhere. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? We're given this assignment to witness. Jesus is sitting here witnessing to God the Father, right? He's witnessing. He's saying, oh, God is much bigger than a temple here or a temple there or a land here or a land there. God's much bigger than that. He's witnessing to who God is. We need to respond to people with a witness of who God is in our own lives. Right? You know, we all have a, a testimony of how we came to Christ. You know, I was 14 years old when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I was sitting in a church building, Tattano Square Baptist Church in Macon, Georgia. And the pastor was talking about the difference in heaven and hell. And at the end, he gave a choice. He said, you can choose heaven or hell. And when I considered the two lists, heaven looked better than hell. Right? At 14, I could figure that out. Amazing, Right? <laughs> The 14-year-old boy could figure that out, but I did. I walked down the aisle, told the pastor, I said, I want, to, I want to trust in Jesus. And I gave my life to Christ. That's my testimony of how I was saved. But what's my testimony of this past week? Of how Jesus has worked in my life. I need a testimony of this, of this past week of how Jesus has worked in my life. I need a testimony from yesterday. Right? Where I got so involved reading the scripture, I just forgot what time it was. I was just, wow, wow, wow. Verses I've read over and over and over again. Wow, wow, wow. I didn't see that the last time. Boom, boom, boom. 
witness. When we respond to people in need, we, there may need to be a witness of what God's done in my life because it may be something that will encourage them. Amen? I need to be able to tell them that I've prayed over a certain person's back injury and, and they were healed. And I've prayed over a certain person's this and it got healed. They need a witness of what God has done in someone's life to encourage them. We also need to respond, not just with the witness of God, but with the wealth of God. The wealth of God. We all have stuff that could bless somebody else. We do. We all have tangible stuff, right? And we all have emotional stuff and spiritual stuff that's been given to us by God. Freely you have received, freely give. Isn't that what the scripture says? Doesn't Jesus say it's more blessed to give than receive? We need to respond to people who are in crisis with the wealth of God, with the wealth of what God has given us. Now that may mean money. It may mean our time. It may mean our talent and our ability. It may mean tangible things. I had a friend text me yesterday and said, I've got a really good color printer. Do you know anybody that needs one? Right. No, I don't, but I'll ask. Anybody need a color printer? Anybody at all? Oh, I've got something else up here. Does anybody like relish? I've got two jars of relish. It's hot relish. Debbie and I love relish, but we don't love hot relish. Tommy's already said no, so he's off. I've got two jars if I'm trying to give away. Okay? I'll sell it for $10 a jar. Would that make it e easier for you? Somebody, somebody blessed us with a bunch of relish, and, and we don't do hot stuff. So uh, if you know somebody, I've got two jars. James, do you like hot relish? He likes hot stuff. Thank you for telling on Laura. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Your, your dad appreciates that. So look here. Look at that. See, that's hot chow chow. And that's hot pepper relish. Look at that. Hey, you come to this church, you're going to get stuff given to you. That's all I'm saying. I'll even let you have the bag later on to walk out with it. Somebody's throwing money. I've heard stories of money falling out of the ceiling before, so let's see if that happens. If it does, just hold out your hands. Here's what I can promise you based on God's word. That when you run into somebody in a crisis, two things. One, God's already at work in their lives. Trying to convince them that he loves them. And two, he just might use you to do the convincing. And you may have to give something away to make that happen. Time, talent, treasure, whatever it is, you may have to give something away to convince them that God loves them. Right? That can just be an encouraging word that you give away that will convince them God loves them. Seventh thing, we need to respond to people in the will of God. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It tells us that we can know God's perfect will. Right? It says, don't be conformed to this world. Uh, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. 
So before you respond, Father, is it your will that I respond here? That's a great prayer. Father, I really would like to help this person. Is this in your will? And just be still for a second and listen to what he says. You may hear him laugh just like that baby's laughing. Say, yeah, this is going to be fun. Watch this, Jim. Go minister here. Respond in the will of God. Respond in the will of God. And the last thing, last thing. We need to respond with the worship of God. We need to respond with the worship of God. And remember, worship is not just music. It's not just singing. It's worship is everything. Worship is everything. The way you treat your wife or your husband is an act of worship. Teenagers, children, the way you treat your parents. Jensen, the way you treat your sister is an act of worship. I just busted you right then, didn't I? I'm sorry. I'd give me some knuckle on it. You know I love you. The way you drive down Highway 24. I had to go there because we all do it. Arr. Worship is, is a lifestyle. It's, it's who we are. It's what we do. And as I've told you before, you know, Frank leads our music on Sunday morning. We don't call him our worship leader because the worship leader is the Holy Spirit. The worship leader is the Holy Spirit. He leads us into worship. That's his job. He's really good at it too if we listen to him. Right? We need to respond with worship to God. God, I just thank you that you chose me to, to be in this situation. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you gave me so I can give them. That's, an act, that's, that's worship, Father. I thank you. Father, I thank you that you love this person more than I could ever dream of loving this person. That's worship. We need to worship God. In responding to people's needs, we need to worship ourselves to God and just lift who, up who He is. That's what Jesus said. You're not going to worship Him in this building or this building or that mountain or this mountain. You're going to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And, and here's what I think that means. There's, there's books written on spirit and truth. Here's what I think it means. I think spirit, worshiping in spirit is worshiping God and the Holy Spirit takes over and tells you how to worship. You're worshiping God, you're singing, you're giving thanks, whatever it is, and the Holy Spirit starts giving you things to say back to God. I think that's what it means to worship in spirit because the Holy Spirit's our worship leader. I think worshiping in truth is when we give God back his word. This is truth. This is true. In a world that says there is no truth, this is truth. And we pray God's word back to him. When, we, when we're worshiping based on his word, we're worshiping in truth. That's what I think it means. Spirit and truth. The Holy Spirit telling you how to worship and the Word of God telling you how to worship. Either way, whatever you decide it means, we're to worship in spirit and truth. And in ministering to people, we can worship and give thanks to God. Anyway, I think that's what Jesus was doing with the woman at the well who was in crisis. And I think that all of us have the ability and opportunity to minister to somebody else who's in crisis. And God wants us to. He'll encourage us. He'll give you the words to say. He'll get, put you in the right position to say. You'll be in the right store at the right time. He just works all that out if you'll let him. If you'll let him. And he will. I've seen it happen over and over again in my ministry. And I've seen it work in your lives too. You've told me stories. And that's how I know it works. So let's be ready to respond to people in crisis every day and in every way. Amen. 
Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you once again for allowing us to look at this scripture. It's a, it's a great story of the heart of God. So, Father, we trust that your heart is, is always to help and to heal, to offer hope and encouragement, to lend a hand, uh, to be a friend. Uh, Father, that's always your heart. So help us to be men and women and teenagers after your heart to minister to the hurting, the scared, those in crisis, uh, those who are confused and all the many things that are going on in our world right now, Father. Holy Spirit, help us to see it. Help us to be, have a willingness to respond and to respond to people in need. For us in Jesus' name we pray. Emmanuel, God with us we pray. Amen.